Our sermon passage today comes from Romans, beginning in chapter 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the love for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the living, the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. But what you eat do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. In heaven, we pray that you would speak to your people and to your children and to all those whom you have created today. We pray you would speak your word and power. And Lord, as much as possible, remove my weakness, remove my inadequacy, remove my error. Let me not stand between your people and your word. But Lord, we are praying that by your spirit, you would reign and rule over us all. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. 
is it okay if I'm just real for a minute? Is that okay? So I have to be honest. I've been telling the 9 o'clock service that um, they are more holy than you are because they come to worship earlier. And it's kind of a joke, but they're going to keep coming back. So that can, that can be our little secret that I'm just baiting and switching them into 9 o'clock. Um, so our little inside secret is this, man. I think we're all adjusting, okay? Like we're all adjusting to singing the same songs twice, to not having your good friend on the same row as you. I mean, some of you lost your back pew and had to come closer to the front. I mean, like, like we're all adjusting, and that's, that's okay. It's okay. The Lord has led us here, and the Lord's going to be with us. And um, I'm adjusting to, to doing this twice, and um, particularly today, like how do you preach a sermon again that you thought was really bad the first time? Like that's... That's where we are right now. And if you get up right now, I know you're not going to the bathroom. I know you're leaving. But uh, someone who just came back from the bathroom is like, what? Um, we'll see if, if we can make this work. So here at Redeemer, um, our goal is to be faithful to the Lord. And our goal is to bear fruit that glorifies God. That's what we want to do. And we know that some churches do that well and some churches don't. We also know that some churches start well, well and lose their way. And we know that some churches are walking in a season of blessing and get distracted by the blessing and lose the Lord and stray from their way. And so just with everything that we have, we feel like God, by His Spirit, through His Word, has said, this is what I'm building in the world. This is my church. This is my gospel. This is my son. This is my spirit. This is how you're saved. This is how you're redeemed. This is how you're glorified. And, and, I, and, and at Redeemer, we want to build on that foundation. We do not want to be found substituting Jesus for anything else. We don't want to be found substituting the gospel for anything else. And I don't say that hurling stones at any other church in this community. I say that knowing that apart from God, graciously and providentially keeping us in the faith, we could slide. And so we're going back to the foundation. We're going back to the foundation because our foundation is that God sent his son Jesus to redeem a people, to build a people, to glorify himself. And we want to build on that foundation. So what we've said so far, that's our sermon series right now. And what we've said so far is that, that the foundation of a building determines the strength of a building. The foundation of a building determines the shape of a building. The foundation of the building determines whether or not building a building lasts or not very often. And so we want our foundation to be the right foundation. So we've said, like, okay, so what is this foundation that God has given us? We said the first corner of it is for God's glory. That was a sermon about four weeks ago. So the purpose of God in the world, the purpose of God in creating me and you, the purpose of God in sending his son Jesus to redeem, the purpose of God in building the church was that he would be honored, glorified, and exalted as the creator and the sustainer and the savior of all. That's God's desire. God's desire is that he receive glory. So if the church is to stand on the foundation, we will say we exist to glorify God. Second corner of the foundation, um, in Christ. In Christ. We do not stand before God on our own. Because if we stand before God on our own, we will be crumbled and destroyed. Also, God did not send his son into the world to make better versions of us. 
but to make completely new versions of us. To kill the old and rebellious Jamie and raise up a new Christ-exalting Jamie. That's what Christ came to do. And so we stand before God in Christ. And if we stand before God in Christ, we belong to God, we're accepted by God, we're forgiven, we're made new, and His Spirit dwells within us. Which leads to the third corner of the foundation. Yeah, this thing's a square, so I'm kind of just using it, okay? The third corner of the foundation is by the Spirit. By the Spirit. The, the power of God's gospel working in the world is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one triune God. And the power of God at work in the world is the work of the Spirit. The Spirit is moving. The Spirit draws people to Jesus. And when people believe, the Spirit then dwells within us. So we are able to read the Bible and believe it because the Spirit who wrote it dwells within us. We are, in a, we are able to follow after God and bear fruit because the Spirit of God dwells within us to help us. All these things are possible because of the, the Spirit. Now, if any of that sounds like, I wish you would preach that today, um, you can go to our website. You can listen to those. Today we go to the fourth corner of the foundation. And it's entitled, For the Kingdom. For the Kingdom. And... This is what we're driving at today. That God desires to be glorified through His redeeming Son by the power of the Spirit to build a kingdom that, reign, that lives for the glory and the reign and the power of Jesus. So God, Jesus tells us that He came to build the kingdom of God. And so if Jesus came to build the kingdom of God then the end to which we are moving as the church and the end to which we are moving as the individuals who know Christ, the place we're trying to go is to see the kingdom of God be built. And if that's where God's moving His world, then we need to go there as well. So, like... This handwritten page that I made at a Chick-fil-A in Smyrna yesterday, because what else do you do during a nine-year-old baseball rainout? Um, it's a list of all the passages in the Bible that talk about the kingdom of God. I, I could read them all to you, but, but I won't. Um, why this one? Why this one? Why did we pick this one? We picked this one because it's in the Bible, so it's true. But we also picked this one because, because if I can just take a little aside... Um, Christianity in America has become too individualistic, too much about me and God, me and Jesus, me and my worship. And so at Redeemer, for eight years, we've tried to swing the pendulum completely the other way and say we are the people of God and we worship God together and we grow as disciples together and we bear fruit together and we do mission together because the Bible is about a people, right? But you can swing the pendulum so far toward corporate, so far toward us and we, that we forget that us and we only do things when I and me participate in them, right? Like, so we, Jamie, you fill in your name, we have a responsibility in building and or participating in God building his kingdom. We have a responsibility in that. And that's really what this particular passage drives home, is that the way we live matters to God, and it would be God's desire that the way we think the way we live, what we believe, how we act, how we speak, how we relate to others, would glorify God by seeking to build His kingdom. 
So the main point today is that it would be the will of God that the people of God would participate with God in building the kingdom of God. That's a lot of God, I know. But it would be the will of God that the people of God would participate with God in building His kingdom. So I'm going to give you an analogy, a, a word picture that maybe will help. I want you to think of, think of a tree, okay? A big tree, like one of those those hundred-year-old oak trees, right? Like, big tree, right? How does a tree grow? Well, it grows in two ways. The obvious way is, well, it gets new limbs, and it sprouts new leaves, and it, it bears more fruit, and the tree gets bigger to the eye, right? But the tree also is growing underneath the surface. It's getting deeper roots. It's getting wider roots. It's getting more places to take in nutrients and and nurture itself. And, And so what I would say is that we as Christians grow like a tree. We need to grow in depth so we can grow in breadth. But also the church and the kingdom grow in the same way. We need to grow in depth and we need to grow in breadth. And so when it comes to the kingdom of God, the depth part would be the Christians becoming more like Christ, more saturated in His Word, more walking by the Spirit, more glorifying to God. And the breadth part would be God bringing new people into His kingdom. Okay? So let that picture of the tree carry you through this message. The key verse in all of this, because I think it all builds to this, our key verse is, is verses 17, 18, and 19. For the kingdom of God, so there's our, there's our, that's where we get this title, for the kingdom. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. So let's do some in-depth study here on verses 17, 18, and 19. So here's what what Paul, Paul is is the man who was led by the Holy Spirit to write the book of Romans. Here's what he says. For the kingdom of God, we're going to talk about what that is, is not a matter of eating and drinking. And so what Paul's doing through this section is he's talking about how um, Christians can let opinions and desires about inconsequential things like whether or not we should eat meat or vegetables, whether or not we should observe certain holy days or not, that Christians can let those things become what marks us and characterizes us. But Paul is reminding that the kingdom of God is not about those small proclivities and it's not about rule keeping or being better than the next guy, but it's about Christ. And Christ brings real, tangible righteousness that is real, tangible, Christ-like, obedient, word-saturated living Christ brings that. Christ brings real, tangible peace. That is a a sense of rest and confidence in the presence and the providence and the ministry of God. And Christ brings real joy. That is a real, overwhelming freedom and satisfaction and 
pleasantly pleased with life since that Christ brings by the Spirit. And so the kingdom of God is about people who know Christ. And because of Christ, we are acceptable to God. And our lives display the fruit of righteousness, peace, joy, and the power of the Spirit. That's what the kingdom of God is. So what Paul is arguing here is that the kingdom of God is when the Spirit of God works in a human or a group of humans to bring them into relationship with God, relationship with His Son, Jesus, in such a way that our thinking and our living and our believing are characterized by righteousness, by peace, and by joy in the Holy Spirit. And verses 18, verse 18 tells us that whoever knows Christ in this way is acceptable before God. And verse 19 tells us that people who know Christ in this way and are acceptable before God will relate to other people and to the world in a different way. Way We will pursue peace and mutual building. So what we're being told in this passage is that the kingdom of God is when God radically changes people through His Son and by His Spirit to bring to bear His work, His goodness, His glory in the world, in the here and the now. That's what the kingdom of God is. And so our first question for those that like to take notes, is what is the kingdom? What is the kingdom? Because this passage is saying the kingdom of God is really important. It's important that we understand what it is and that we live accordingly. Now, I say a word like kingdom, and we as Americans, and we who grew up on English folklore, struggle to understand what's going on. Because I say kingdom, and you think of a prince in a castle with a moat, and some dragons, and people who, who live in his domain belonging to him, and everyone who lives in the domain is in the kingdom of the king, and everyone who's outside the domain is the enemy of a king. But we think of it very physically, we think of it very um, how we are born, what are we are born into, we think of it as a very physical reality. Like there's a king and there are subjects. Now, the kingdom of God has a king, his name is Jesus. And the kingdom of God has subjects, it's all who know Christ. But the kingdom of God is not visible in the sense that we can look at a map and say, oh, I have left the kingdom, or I am coming into the kingdom. No one's passport is stamped, you know, you vacationed in the kingdom of God. It's not a, it's not a physical thing. Not only that, but the kingdom of God is not tied to any geopolitical realities. Like, there is not a particular nation that has a claim on we are God's kingdom. The kingdom of God is going to come to bear through this geopolitical entity. So it's hard to get our minds around this idea of kingdom because we tend to think about it in terms of space and time and how we're born and where we physically belong. But what the kingdom of God, the word kingdom at its most literal form means reign, R-E-I-G-N, not reign, R-A-I-N. So last Sunday morning, it rained a lot. That's not what we're talking about, okay? 
What we're talking about here, and if you weren't here last Sunday, it was wet, wasn't it? If you weren't here, you have an excuse. It was wet. What we're talking about here is where the Son of God, Jesus, is exalted as king, is given the allegiance of a king, and people are living under his good, benevolent lordship, there the kingdom of God is. So the only way to enter the kingdom of God is through Jesus Christ. And everyone who has placed faith in Christ for salvation, we said last week, has the Spirit dwelling in us. And secondly, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And what makes this concept difficult for us is it's not an exclusive reality. And here's what I mean. Wouldn't it be great if when we became Christians, God said, you are now a part of my kingdom and I'm checking you out of all the other kingdoms to which you belong. Wouldn't that be great? Like, oh yeah, I no longer have allegiance to, a, to my nation. I no longer have allegiance to my state. I no longer have allegiance to my municipality. I no longer have allegiance to um, familial ties. I no longer have allegiance to my favorite sports team. I no longer have allegiance to um, my love of money. Right? Wouldn't it be great if we could just check out of all of those things and say, now I live and reign in the kingdom of Jesus and I am free from all the other kingdoms. Wouldn't that be a good day? Well, here's the, there's the great news. I'm going to jump to the end and pull it back here. That day is coming. Because what heaven is, what eternity is, is not streets of gold and and everything you could ever want. What heaven is, is undefiled allegiance to Jesus amongst other people who have undefiled allegiance to Jesus. And His good, His righteousness, His peace, His joy reign completely. That's what the future kingdom is when Jesus comes again. But now, we live in this hard place where If we're in Christ, we are citizens of the kingdom, and yet we are citizens of so many other kingdoms. So by way of application, the question of the kingdom is not, well, I guess the first question would be, do I belong to the kingdom of God? And the only way to answer yes to that is if I am in Christ. If we're in Christ, we belong to the kingdom. If we're not in Christ... Verse 11 says, A day is coming where every knee will bow to me and every tongue will confess. And for some, those who are of the kingdom, who are of Christ, that day will be a day of great joy and great satisfaction. But to those who are not in Christ, that day will be a day of weeping and a day of gnashing of teeth. So the most important question we can ask is, am I a citizen of the kingdom? We become citizens of the kingdom by coming to the end of ourselves, by recognizing that all other kingdoms are a sham, and by running to Jesus in faith. Second question then, which kingdom receives my ultimate allegiance? Which kingdom receives my ultimate allegiance. On that question, I would encourage you to consider what's caused you to lose sleep in the last 30 days. It's an uncomfortable question, isn't it? 
Have I mistakenly put so much hope in politics that I am yielding more allegiance to politicians than I am to Jesus? Have I mistakenly put so much emphasis and importance on my children having every good opportunity and never being deprived that I have elevated that in allegiance over allegiance to the kingdom of God? Is there a particular sin in my life that is Lord over me in such a way that my allegiance to my addiction or to my sinful patterns is stronger than my allegiance to Jesus and to His Word and to His kingdom? This whole kingdom thing is a subtle reality, but the question is, to which kingdom do I yield greatest allegiance? And so that leads to two questions that we're going to spend the rest of our time answering. Question one, how do I live for the kingdom? Question two, how do we together live for the kingdom? So second point in our sermon, how do I live for the kingdom? Now, what I want to do is I want to walk through this text, and I want to convey to you that what Paul is saying is that Christian, the life of a Christian should be shaped by the word and the will of Jesus in such a way that we are pursuing holiness, we are rooting out sin, and we are glorifying God. And when we pursue holiness and we root out sin, we glorify God and the kingdom of God comes to bear more deeply and more purely in our existence. Now that makes us uncomfortable because we don't like having implications put upon us. So let me, let me twist the question. How many of you wish that your spouse or your roommate, or your parents or children, the people you spend the most time with, how many of you wish that they would have the kingdom of God take a deeper deeper root and bear more fruit in their lives? Amen? Yeah, my life would be much better if my wife was more like Jesus. And guess what? Her life would be a whole, 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 whole lot better if I would be. So what we want from others is what the Lord wants from us. So this passage says, we respond to the imperative of the kingdom first by seeking to have the kingdom of God ravage us. Just see if I can overwhelm you with that. Verses 8 through 10. What Paul says in verses 8 through 10 is to owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves has fulfilled the law. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So Paul says, let love of others flow out of you because the love of God has flowed into you. Verses 11 through 14. What Paul says in this passage is, we are very near to when Christ will come again. So let's cast off the works of the darkness. That's other kingdoms. And let's put on armor of light. That is the glory of God and His gospel and His Spirit and work in us to transform who we are. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. 
Put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That is chapter 13 and verse 14. And if you want to mark in your Bible, mark that down. What Paul says is because of the imperative of the kingdom, put on Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires through you. What Paul is saying is the kingdom comes as Christians become more wholly devoted to Jesus. Verses 14, 1 through 12, what Paul is saying in this section is that we are the Lord's and if we are the Lord's, we should never cause a brother to stumble over silly, unmeaningful things, but we should always hold up Jesus. And then in verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God. So number one, we live for the kingdom by pursuing personal holiness before God. And now when I say holiness, we don't mean earning God's favor. We don't mean trying to be a cleaner version of yourself. We mean a life that here's what God says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then says, I want by the power of the Spirit, to love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, and soul, and strength. And God, would you help me to do that? That's pursuing holiness. Not earning salvation, but believing that the Spirit is in you and pursuing holiness. The author of Hebrews in chapter 12 says, pursue this holiness without which no one will see God. Now, if Paul is tying personal holiness to the kingdom of God, then, then what I'm here to say today is, is it possible that the biggest enemy of the kingdom of God in the world is not outside of us, but it's us? And we can get the right politicians in office, the right people in the Supreme Court, the right laws passed, the right senators, the right governors, the right rules, the right policies, and the kingdom of God will not necessarily come in any way. The kingdom of God comes when people meet Jesus, are ravaged by him, enter into his presence, and live for his glory. So could it be that the biggest hindrance to the kingdom of God flourishing and being appealing in the world is us? And I don't have to change how I behave or how I pursue the kingdom to earn anything from God. But if God is at work in me, my life will bear the fruit of righteousness and joy and peace that glorifies God and says to the world, God changes people. So here in a couple weeks, go vote. Do your civic duty. You're a a citizen of America. Participate. But nothing that happens in those booths on November, whatever day that is, earlier than 10, is going to usher in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God comes through allegiance to Jesus when people know him and believe in him and yield their lives to him. And that is the kingdom that he wants us to build. But we're a citizen of multiple kingdoms, so go participate in those things. But our allegiance belongs to Jesus. Number two. I live for the kingdom by building the church. I live for the kingdom by building the church. Now, I'm going to do a little theological in-house for a minute, okay? Kingdom of God, church. 
Are those the exact same things? Not exactly. The kingdom of God is this, this thing that Jesus is building that's all of his work and all of his blessing to ultimately cause every knee to bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the ends of the earth. But if the only way to enter the kingdom is by faith in Jesus, then the church is a part of the kingdom. And if Jesus died to build the church, and if this passage is filled with all these one another's, love one another, don't cause a brother to stumble, don't cause someone who is in Christ to be pulled away from Christ, build peace, build up, edify. All those imperatives are saying that the kingdom of God is growing and expanding when the church is growing and the church is expanding. And so we invest in the kingdom by investing in the church. They work together. For the glory of God. Number three. We, you and I, invest in the kingdom by relating to other people differently. Let me say it this way. We invest in the kingdom by relating to others as God relates to us. Those of us who have experienced the love of God Love others. Those of us who have experienced the peace of God seek peace with others. Those of us who have experienced the mercy of God are merciful toward others. That's what's going on in verse 19. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. What what Paul is saying here is that we who know Christ, who have been ravaged by Christ, relate to others differently than we would if we are left to ourselves. We have been loved and forgiven and blessed and accepted so that we're free to love. If I have everything I need in Christ, then I don't need anything relationally from you and I'm free to give myself up for you. So what Paul is saying is, live as if you've been loved and seek peace as if you've received peace. But when you see others hurting, love them. When you see a neighbor in need, be a neighbor. When you see a brother struggling, be strong for him. When you see a brother wrestling, encourage him. But live out an, an ethic of peace and mutual upbuilding for the glory of God because we belong to the kingdom of God. Now think about this. Think about this. So on your way home, Someone stopped on the side of the road. Elderly person with a walker trying to change a flat tire. Just go there, okay? Now, love and compassion and mercy says, pull over. Chips and salsa can wait, right? And love and compassion and mercy says, how can I help you today? And love and compassion and mercy says, I'm going to take off this dress shirt and I'm going to get down on the ground and I'm going to change a tire. And then I'm going to follow this elderly person to a place where they can get their tire fixed. And if I need to, I'm going to pay their bill. All of that's love. All of that flows from what God has done for me. Now, let me be really clear. None of that brings that elderly person into the kingdom. My love toward that person does not bring that person into the kingdom. But that love gives that person a foretaste of what the kingdom is really about. 
That love gives those who are far from Christ a foretaste of what it means to know Christ. The way that we love and the way that we speak and the way that we serve testifies to the fact that we have a God who loves and serves and shows compassion and shows mercy and we can relate differently. There is something different inside the kingdom. Jesus reigns. And the way that we love others displays the greatness of the fact that Jesus Does that make sense? So go serve the homeless. But understand that in serving the homeless, the kingdom is not necessarily being built. But the homeless, if served well, are seeing that there is a kingdom and a God and a Savior who is good and just and glorious, and we are making His kingdom appealing to those who have no idea that the kingdom is there. So let's live out righteousness and peace and joy before God and before others. Fourth, how do I live for the kingdom? I tell of Jesus and I invite others into the kingdom. Now you might have said, come on pastor, you buried missions and evangelism at the end. I did. I did. And here's why. Do you know what I believe? The biggest, humanly speaking, the biggest barrier to mission and evangelism is right now? absence of holiness amongst Christians. The self-righteous, self-indulgent absence of a love for the church amongst Christians. And a lack of caring about those who are in genuine need amongst Christians. Missions and evangelism is fourth on the list because holiness, a love for the church, and a love for others that is radical makes the invitation of Jesus much, much much more appealing. Now, I say appealing and some of you guys wig out. Like, it's not our job to make the gospel appealing. I know God does that. It's not our job to woo people in. God woos them in. I know that's what Ephesians 2 says. But it is our job to give a faithful testimony of the greatness of God and how we live and how we move and how we, ha- and how we have our being. And that's the God to whom we are inviting others. But living for the kingdom is inviting others into the kingdom. Final point, how do we together live for the kingdom? How do we together live for the kingdom? Well, you could take all those things I said earlier, pursue holiness, build the church, live out an ethic of love, joy, peace, righteousness, invite others to Jesus. You could just put a we in front of that, but this is what I want to say. The kingdom is ultimately a group of People, citizens with a new allegiance to Jesus. So we as the church live for the kingdom by celebrating our allegiance to Jesus. We live for the kingdom by celebrating our allegiance to Jesus. So let's not be found celebrating other things that aren't the greatness of Jesus. Let's celebrate the greatness of Christ, the greatness of the gospel, the greatness of His salvation, the greatness of His Spirit, the greatness of His love, the greatness of His mercy. Let's be found celebrating those things. And second, let's help one another avoid placing our hope in false kingdoms. Let's help one another avoid placing our hope in false kingdoms. 
So I want to end this way. Uh, worship team, you guys can go ahead and come up. We don't bring the kingdom of God. God does, God will. We're invited as those who know God, who are a part of His kingdom, to be citizens who display a great allegiance to Jesus and how we do all things. And so my invitation today is back to those questions I asked just a few minutes ago. Are you a citizen of the kingdom? Are you a citizen of the kingdom? And to what king do you yield the ultimate allegiance? So today, in just a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, which is a meal of the kingdom, reminding us that Christ is our great Savior, our great Lord, our great Redeemer, our only hope, and He's the one that deserves all of our allegiance. And so we're going to take a piece of bread, which represents His body broken for us. We're going to take a cup, which represents His blood spilled for us. And together, we are going to say, Jesus is the Lord to the glory of God the Father, and we yield all our allegiance to Him. That's what we're going to say as we take this bread and this cup. So here at Redeemer, anyone who has believed in Christ for salvation and has professed that saving faith, we would invite you to take this bread and take this cup with us. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, please let's just let the bread and the cup pass because this is a celebration of what Christ has done. But today, today you can come to Christ and we would invite you to do so. So um, the guys are going to pass out the bread and the cup. Um, we're going to sing together and I'll come back in just a few minutes and we'll take them together.